We've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and I, um, you know, when, when we talked about going through it, I, I was a little leery because I was thinking this is going to be, you know, 12 chapters, and, and after some point, it's going to kind of get depressing if it doesn't just always be depressing because Ecclesiastes is kind of, I've just been blown away at how good, how faithful God is in his word. The, the other pastors preaching this book to me has just been so timely. We've heard good feedback from everybody about it. So it's hard to believe that we're almost to the end of it, but we're getting there. Now, we need to remember that this book was written from a worldly frame of reference and not from a, a heavenly frame of reference. So Solomon is talking about life under the sun, so kind of the horizontal way that we view, we view life w without God involved. And he's not necessarily looking at it this way. And so, so sometimes when you're reading the book of Ecclesiastes, it looks a bit askew and, and kind of out of focus. But that's because it's a reflection of what the world looks like when we try to leave God out of it all. You know, I was last week praying for some of my loved ones that don't know Jesus and reflecting on the book of Ecclesiastes. And I found myself just praying, Lord, help them come to this same conclusion that Solomon came to, that everything is empty and pointless if you're not in it. And, and that's a good prayer to pray for, for those that we love. Like there's so much in the world that they think is worthwhile. And Solomon, the wisest man, the richest man, finally just said, you know what? This is meaningless. It's pointless. And that's exactly what I want those loved people, those loved ones of mine to, to realize that there's nothing here apart from God and that they would be, you know, driven to, to their knees before him to, to look to him to be the ones that satisfy his soul because he's the only one that will. And that's the beauty of going through a book like this is it, you know, it, it helps us to come to the same conclusion that Solomon did, that there isn't anything else out there besides our relationship with God. So this morning we're going to be looking at more of Solomon's observations, things that, that happen in the world that just don't make sense and that leave him unsatisfied and wanting more. So three things we're going to look at. One is that our abilities do not guarantee success. The second one is that time and chance level the playing field. And the third one is that wisdom, though underrated, is better than might. And that one sounds weird to me. It's like, is it? That doesn't sound right. It's like when you play the rock, paper, scissors, that whole paper beats rock thing. I was just like, I just, I never really bought that one. You know, the other ones I'm like, all right, but whoever came up with, you know, it just covers. It's like the rock could still break through the paper. It doesn't sound right to me, but wisdom beats might. So we're going to start in verse 11 of chapter 9 in Ecclesiastes, and then uh, we'll, we'll carry on through the end of the chapter as we go. Solomon says this, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Now we all have an idea of what it takes or what it means to be successful in life, things like diligence and hard work and perseverance. But there are some people that just seem to make all of this look way easier. They seem to have a different ability, like they're breathing different air than we're breathing, and, and all of this looks easy to them. And, and those are the people we just kind of expect to be the winners, the ones that would be successful. So when we ask the question, who is supposed to win the race? It's the fastest person. Who's supposed to win the fight? That'd be the strongest person. Uh, who's going to get rich? That would be the shrewdest person. Those are the things that make sense to us, what we expect. But if I were to, you know, you, you guys all agree with this. If I were to step into the ring with, with Mike Tyson or try to challenge Andrew Walls to an endurance race, you would know who to bet on, right? You would know exactly how that's going to turn out. That's the way we think. 
If we want to be successful in life, we need to run faster, fight harder, be more devoted, you know, outplay, outwit, outlast those around us. That's what we have to do. And that's as logical as this sounds, Solomon says that's, that's not the way it works, and we can't count on those things. Sometimes the race isn't to the swift, and sometimes the battle's not to the strong. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way. So our abilities do not guarantee success. And Christians often buy into this wrong thinking, too, when it comes to their relationship with God. If you ask a Christian, what do you need to do to be saved or to stay saved, they will often begin to list out all of the things that we need to do. Well, I need to do all of this stuff, and I need to stop doing all of this stuff. And then the idea is that if we run fast enough and try hard enough and do good enough, that God will be obligated to like us, and, and he will be obligated to bless us. And then when that doesn't happen, we're left to conclude that he doesn't really like us much. He doesn't favor us. Well, you know, I've got some self-esteem crushing news for you this morning. So, you know, you're welcome, but <laughs> God doesn't like you because of you. He doesn't like me because of me. He likes us because of Jesus in us. That's, that's why. David quoted a guy during Table Talk a couple of weeks ago that just made me laugh when he said it, but it's a guy named Les Lempier. I don't, I don't know who he is, but it was a good quote. So he said this. He said, Jesus saw the best in me, and then he died to forgive me for it. <laughs> it was just like, you know, ouch. Yeah, exactly. So for the Christian, our abilities can't give us success, but Christ's abilities can. That's the good news of the gospel. No matter how much I try to apply myself, uh, I will fall short. I cannot please God or earn his favor by what I do. But Jesus steps in and says, I can. Isn't that cool? Jesus, Jesus comes in and says, I can. He says, my abilities will guarantee success. I can win the trophy every time. And so just listen to that. Jesus saying, I can live a sinless life. I can perfectly keep all of God's commands, and then I can give you credit for it. I can credit you with my win, give you my righteousness. That's what Jesus says to us. But he doesn't stop there. He also went to the cross in my place to suffer what I deserved because of my sin. So he willingly became our substitute on the cross, receiving the sentence that we deserved. And then he gives us credit for it as though we paid the debt ourselves. And then three days after dying and being buried, he rose victoriously from the grave, proving that he won. And when we trust in that, and that alone, for our salvation, that, that's it. That's the gospel. His goodness given to us. His record given to us. His ability. You know, and and when, when you trust in that, you have success. There's, there's no more success than you can have than that. And when we are now you know, successful, if that's the case for you, we need to make sure we give credit where credit is due. According to God's word, how much can you, can you do apart from him? <laughs> it's like a little a smidgen. We want to think that way, don't we? But the, the word says nothing. You can do nothing apart from him. Not one thing. Even the next breath you take is really a gift from God. You know, that's how dependent we really are. That's how small we really are and how, how you know, great he really is. I always appreciate people who deflect adoration and point to God when, when somebody gives them, you know, honor and, so, and somebody tries to do that. And they, they just point to God and say, no, he deserves the honor and the glory. And that's true. So we may never be successful according to the world's standard of success, but if Jesus has justified us, if he has redeemed us, if he has reconciled us to God, we are more successful than, than anybody else that's ever lived. 
I, I just love that thought of how we judge success. It's like, oh, where, you know, where did you go to college? Oh, I went to Harvard. You know, that kind of, you know, oh, wow, you know, that's so impressive. It's like, where'd you go? Like Calvary, you know, community college is where I went. I, I, got, I got what Jesus gave me, and that's, that, that's, that's what I got. But that's success. That's absolutely fantastic. The success that comes from knowing Christ is an everlasting success. You know, we often talk about five minutes of fame. The world at best, the success that they have, that's about what it amounts to five minutes of fame in, in, in hindsight, you know, as far as eternity is concerned. But our success through Jesus Christ will last for eternity. So Solomon's first point is that our abilities can't guarantee success, even though that's what seems logical to us. And, and then he explains why next. In verse 11, he gives us the reason that the fast and the strong and the shrewd don't always win. They have two adversaries that they haven't accounted for, time and chance. And this is different from suffering the consequences of your, your own, you know, actions. Like some people just make dumb decisions and then they, they suffer dumb consequences. That's not what this is talking about. This is more like what we would refer to as bad luck, something that you just didn't see coming. Time and chance, uh, this guy named Kidner said this in, his, in one of his, his commentaries on Ecclesiastes. Time and chance are paired, no doubt, because they both have a way of taking matters suddenly out of our hands. No matter how fast or smart or strong you are, you can't avoid the pitfalls of time and chance. Uh, no one can anticipate the time of disaster. And that's what he explains in verse 12. For no man, or man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net or like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. And we see this kind of thing happening all the time, don't we? In, in the world and in life and in history, icebergs happen, right? The Titanic was this marvel of modern shipbuilding that was said to be unsinkable, and it was until it hit an iceberg that it didn't know was there. Time and chance happen. We see this in sports. I don't know how many of you guys remember uh, in 1985, there was a Monday night football game. Joe Theismann was the quarterback and Lawrence Taylor was the linebacker. And see, if you know, you know. I'm not going to describe this, but if, it's like if you know you just winced in your seat a little bit. Uh, Joe Theismann walked into that game thinking he was going to be playing football for a long time. And it was his last game. He had a career-ending injury, and that was the end of it. You know, top of the world one minute and at the bottom of the heap at the next minute. Time and chance got him. Did you guys watch the Tour de France this year? This one's just remarkable to me. I don't know if you saw it, but there's, you know, all these, these guys have trained, and they're all top of their field as far as athletes. All these bikes getting ready to go. They start the race. They all start going. They're cruising along, and there's this lady who decides that she wants to have some TV time. She has this sign, a big cardboard sign, and she steps out with all the bikes behind her coming toward her. She steps out in front of the camera to show this sign and literally creates a domino effect of Tour de France bicyclists. It was unbelievable, the carnage. Bikes snapping in half, guys injured to where they couldn't run the race. You know, these guys, there's no way they could have seen that coming. Time and chance can be enemies of those who live their lives under the sun with no thought of God, right? When you choose to ignore God and leave him out of your life, time and chance are what you're left to deal with. It's kind of like the, you know, Liam Neeson in the movie Taken. It's like they will look for you, they will find you, and they will get you. That's, that's, that's how it works. But what about for the Christian? Do we need to be worried about time and chance? Not if we believe that God is in control of what happens in our lives. This is such a, a comfort to me to know that he has said that he is going to work all things together for my good. And, and he said that I began a work, if I began a work in you, I, I'm going to complete that work. And so that just tells me that he really is in control of what takes place in my life. 
I don't have to spin out of control when things like that happen. That means that nothing comes into my life that God isn't using for my good, even the things that frustrate me and that I don't understand. And so even something as simple as missing a traffic light can be used in a way that we'll never understand by God. That happened to me the other night when I left here. It was dark out. Uh, I, was, I was hidden. You know, when you go out here, there's a stoplight. And there's really re- rarely any traffic. And it was, it was green when I was at the, you know, the first stop sign. And I'm like, I'm going to get around the corner and I'm going to get this light. And I get, and it turns yellow and red. And I'm like, and there's no cars. And I'm frustrated. I'm like, you know, I do that thing where I go, come on. My wife loves it when I do that. I'm just talking to traffic lights in the middle of nowhere. Come on, traffic light. And, and I'm frustrated. And I probably had to wait 30 seconds. Yeah. And so then I'm driving, and I get to that South Century stretch. It's really dark and long, and I have my brights on. And about, I'd say about 30 seconds up the road, a bunch of deer cross. And I remember thinking, okay, now I don't know. I have no idea for sure, but, <laughs> but could God have just maybe kept me from, you know, wiping out my car and a bunch of deer because, you know, of this little inconvenience that I suffered? And that's the way I like to think of this is, you know, those movies where you've got the guy in the surveillance van, they've hacked into the building's surveillance system, and then, you know, Tom Cruise or whoever the, you know, the Mission Impossible guy's in the building, and he's like, okay, wait in the corridor. Okay, okay, five seconds now, walk. You know, and it goes, you know, that's like God has hacked into the world's surveillance system, and, and he's watching out for it. He's getting us through this. And, and I like that idea. There's never a time when God isn't on his throne in control. You know, there's never a time when he's not at the wheel of the ship. He doesn't have to worry about icebergs because he made them, and he knows where they are. It's okay. So that, that idea that time and chance has got nothing on me, it feels pretty good. Okay, in verse 13, Solomon's going to talk about a profound example of wisdom that really impacted him. He's just um, talked about how we can expect the strong to win the battle. And so if Vegas were taking bets on the outcome of this story, the odds makers would, would certainly side with the, you know, the army that's approaching, not the, not the city that's going to get taken out. So in verse 13, he says this, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against and besieged it, building great siege works against it. That's where they would either build wooden structures over the walls or or mounds of dirt so that they could see in, you know, that kind of thing. Verse 15 says, But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city, yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Now, unfortunately, Solomon doesn't give us really any details about how this went down. This isn't a real, this is kind of an unsatisfying story. I want like, is there a car chase? Was there explosions? How did this work? How did this happen? He doesn't give us that. I don't think I would ask Solomon to, you know, tell my kids a bedtime story. That's not very good. Uh, I want to know what happened. How did the poor man, you know, what happened? The, The wise man, what did he do? How did it go down? He doesn't give any details. The best I can do is um, read a, a section of 2 Samuel where we have a similar story that, that went down where um, there's this wanted man named Sheba. Sheba was a guy that came against King David, and uh, they, they decided to, he fled after it didn't work. And so Joab and his um, mighty men of valor, you remember those guys? They, kind of an army came to track Sheba down. And so Sheba fled to his hometown, a town called Abel, and that's where he was hiding out. And so it's a really bad day when Joab and his mighty men of valor come knocking on the door of the town you live in, wanting you. But that's kind of what we, what we get. And it says that they surrounded the, the city of Abel, and they built these siege works again over, around the city, and they were, they were getting ready to batter down the door and, and go in and just destroy this place. And it says in verse 16 of 2 Samuel 20, Then a wise woman called from the city, Listen, listen, tell Joab, come here, that I may speak to him. And he came near. And the woman said, Are you Joab? And he answered, I am. And then she said, 
Listen to the words of your servant. So we were already told she's wise. She starts out with a humble posture. That's wise. This is what she says. They used to say in former times, let them but ask counsel at Abel. And so they settled a matter. So she's saying this is a town that's always been a place where you could come to get matters settled. You know, we're, we're that kind of a peacemaking kind of a place. Again, wise. And then she says this, I am one of those who are peaceable and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city that is a mother in Israel. Will you swallow up the heritage of the Lord? <laughs> that's pretty good. And she's not only wise, she's kind of bold, if you ask me. That's, like, that's pretty good to go up to Joab and say that. And listen to Joab's answer. Far be it from me, far be it that I should swallow up or destroy. This isn't true. But a man of the hill country of Ephraim called Sheba, the son of Bichri, has lifted up his hand against King David. Give up him alone, and I will withdraw from the city. Then the woman said to Joab, Behold, his head shall be thrown to you over the wall. And then the women went, Sorry, I know. Bible's not PG sometimes. <laughs> then the women went to all the people in her wisdom, told them, and they said, yeah, that's a good plan. And so apparently they sealed the deal. When, when it happened, Joab blew the trumpet, and they all went home. So you see how wisdom beat strength and saved the day. And we have the same kind of thing going on in Ecclesiastes 9, where Solomon tells us what appears to be a hopeless situation with only one possible outcome. This little city was going to be overtaken by force, but then this poor wise man comes forward with a plan, and it works. You know, wisdom prevails over might. And this, this just baffled Solomon. It said that it was so profound that he, it really stuck with him. You know, wisdom prevailing over might. And, and the, the funny thing is that we, we still don't honor that somehow. We, we still prefer might over wisdom. That's what we remember. In verse 15, it actually says that after saving the day, they immediately forgot that this poor man even existed. He went back into obscurity. You know, he's the guy that saved the whole town, and they don't, they don't, they don't care. If this poor man, you know, we're more impressed with power, I believe. And so if this poor man would have somehow turned into Chuck Norris and saved the day that way, just did something like that, they would have honored this guy. They would have put him up on their shoulders, paraded him around, you know, paintings and history books and all kinds of things. They would remember this guy. But because it was wisdom that prevailed, it, it was just like, meh, not that big a deal. Why is that? I believe it has something to do with strength being attributed to what man can do and with wisdom being attributed to what God can do. Because wisdom is connected with God. We read that in Proverbs 9.10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Wisdom is something that comes from outside of us, whereas strength is something that represents what we can do. Now, we know that strength comes from God too, but it's so much easier to connect the dots of strength back to us than it is, you know, wisdom. <laughs> well, it is for me anyway. I'm not very wise. People will know I'm not very strong either, so I'm, 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 none of these work for me. But, but the idea is that we use strength to take matters into our own hands. You know, we exert our will to make things happen the way we want to make them happen. And God says wisdom is better than strength because it means we're relying on Him instead of ourselves. So the question is, do we trust strength over wisdom? In a practical way, are we guilty of this? And I, as I think about that, I think, what do I turn to? What do I trust in? Do we trust in muscle? Do we trust in money? Do we trust in weapons, guns? That's a sensitive one today. I know a lot of people that are like, you know, the more artillery and the more firepower and the more ammo they have, the more secure they feel. Do we trust in political power? These all represent strength, what man can do. And they make sense to us, but they're all worldly ideas of how to save ourselves and protect ourselves. They give us the illusion that we're in charge instead of God being in charge, and we like that illusion. But they're all subject to the pitfalls of time and chance. 
And that's what Solomon's been trying to get, get through to us. Strength is fleeting. You know, I can't co- accomplish the things that I used to accomplish. You know, I, even I, this came clear to me even before all my heart stuff happened. But I remember uh, I, th- I used to play baseball. I was really good. And then one day, this has probably been even 15 years ago, I decided to play baseball again. And I used to play shortstop. And I, I felt pretty good about it. And I remember a ball got hit. And I thought, oh, I know exactly what to do. And in my mind, it was all going to work out, you know, a certain way. So I dove like I used to dive. And I tried to get to the grounder, and I hit the ground pretty hard. And I was probably about six feet away from the ball. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, but in my mind, I was still young, and I could do that. And it's like, no, strength is, that doesn't, doesn't work that way anymore, Brent. And I stopped playing shortstop. They moved me to, like, second base or right field or something. You know, that, that's the thing. These things, you know, guns jam. They, you know, they miss their targets. These things, they, they are subject to the pitfalls of time and chance. So we need to rely on something other than ourselves, something that's not subject to those things. I love in Psalm 147, verse 10, the Lord says, My delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor my pleasure in the legs of man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who trust in his steadfast love. So what does it look like to trust in wisdom instead of strength? Well, the first thing I thought of is, is the idea of pray without ceasing. And I used to think of that as being like, I'm super spiritual. I'm really holy. And so I pray without ceasing. No, I do it because I'm desperate. I'm just that desperate to where I have to pray all the time because I don't know what else to do. The Bible says, if anyone lacks wisdom. Now, is there anybody out there that lacks wisdom? <laughs> okay, right, good. You know, let, him, let him see God who gives, he gives us wisdom liberally and without reproach. He wants to give us wisdom. So if we lack it, we need to go to him. We need to seek him. And that's what prayer is, is reliance upon God. The, the, the other thing we need to do is we need to always be learning and following his word. Again, if we lack wisdom, we need to look to the answer. And it, we, it, sometimes that's the last place we go. And it's so sad when a problem comes up or something goes on, I'm more apt to go to Google to try to find an answer than I am to go to God's word. Why is that? So what it looks like to trust in wisdom instead of strength is to go to God's word, learn it, obey it, follow it, because it's what we need for life. And then the, the other one is just to simply be teachable. Have you ever run into somebody who just isn't teachable? They, don't, they, they have nothing to learn. They've got it all figured out. They're frustrating people to be around. I hope that every one of us as Christians is always teachable because there are people that God has placed in our lives who are godly and who have good advice and good wisdom because they've studied the Word and they've prayed without ceasing and they're, they're here for us. So, so listening to people that can point out the things in your life that you don't see. We've got so many blind spots sometimes and other people who love us and who know us well. They, they can do this. That's why the fellowship of Christians is so important is, is we can do this for each other. So when we do these things, we're looking to God to fight our battles and to meet our needs and not relying on ourselves. The wisdom of God is foolishness to those who are perishing, the Bible says, but it shouldn't be foolishness to us. These things are where we go. This is what we do. This should make sense to us. You know, I've, I've just accepted the fact that I'm powerless to control the things that I want to control, regardless of what it is. Um, but God's not. God is all-powerful, and he's all-wise, and he's promised to do good in my life. So I, I love that idea that God is a strong tower. The righteous run to him and are saved. You think of God as your strong tower? When something, when calamity starts to come or the storm starts to come, where do you run? Run to a, a strong tower. Run to God. Another thing we see in the story of Solomon that he tells us about this little city is that God uses the most unlikely person in the city to accomplish the win. And I love this. There's no way the rulers of the city uh, thought of this man when they were under attack. You know, the attack starts to come and they're like, does anybody know where that poor, that poor guy is that we don't like very much? Or does anybody know? <laughs> we want to ask him what to do. There's no way they thought of him. And I love how God turns logic on its head. 
and, and he delights in using the not-so-obvious choice. So I've already built you up once, once today, so I'm going to do it again now with, with the passage in 1 Corinthians. This is how God chooses his team. You know, not like we would choose our team. Think back to the old, you know, the old uh, dodgeball playground pick thing, how we used to do that. This is, this is how God does it. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. (laughs) I just love that. No human will be able to boast. It'll be clear who gets the credit. It won't be me. It won't be any of you. It'll be God. That's how it works. And the good news is that God can use the least of us to do amazing things. We literally just celebrated our 10-year anniversary. I remember starting this church with David and Doug, and we had no idea what was going to even happen. We thought, okay, you know, we might get a few people that show up. And, and to see what God has done in, in over the last 10 years, it's obvious who gets the credit. It's not us. We still at times don't know what we're doing. I, I know that's no surprise to <laughs> some of you guys, but it's just the truth. We, we kind of made it up as we went along. We took things we didn't like from some churches and things we did like from some, and we just tried to do our, you know, what we thought we were supposed to do. And God has blessed what we've done. And again, it's just, he uses us in ways that we don't think he will. I couldn't help but think of the account of David and Goliath in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel in chapter 17. You're probably familiar with the story, but it's just such a cool picture of, of you've got the Philistine army and you've got the, you know, the, the army of Israel and they're there fighting. It's like a 40-day battle. And yeah, I don't know how it worked out, but they're on opposite sides of a field. And, and there's this guy named Goliath, a Philistine, who's like 10 feet tall, who comes out every day and taunts them and says, bring somebody out that'll fight me. And if, if I beat him, you, you know, you guys surrender. And if, if he beats me, it will surrender. And that was what was going on for quite a while. And Saul and his army were terrified because they knew that they didn't have the strength. They couldn't rely on their own strength, the stuff that they wanted to try to rely on. They couldn't do it. And they knew they had no hope of beating him. And then you get David showing up. He's like bringing lunch to his brothers that day. His dad says, hey, take, take these guys some food. So he's young. We don't know how young he is, but but we're told he's a youth because even when he goes out to fight Goliath, he says, well, you're going to come at me like, a, you know, with sticks, like I'm a dog. You're sending just, you know, a kid out to, to fight me. He was bothered by this. So we don't know. But, but the beauty was that David knew who God was. And that's what he trusted in. He, he didn't, you know, he's like, why are you guys, why are you guys terrified? Why are you scared? In 1 Samuel 17, it says this in, um, starting in verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. That's two head things today. I'm sorry. It wasn't intentional. That's like one. Usually one's okay, but sorry. Uh, I should have just kept reading. Basically, he goes on to say that... Um, All of this assembly will know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. I I, I just love that logic tells us that David could have never feeded this guy. Never. But wisdom told him that God, God can't be defeated. His people cannot be defeated. So David goes out, takes a sling and a stone. And I know he was good with this thing, but come on. You know, one one shot, he swings it, flings it, and where does it land? I mean, dead center into the guy's forehead, sinks in, like, and he just goes, 
I, I can't imagine what that must have been like. Who got credit for the battle that day? Not David. I mean, clearly that is God. And that's, that's, again, what we want to see. So the battle belongs to the Lord. Relying on what we know to be true about God enables to overcome great odds. And I know at times this world just looks like a great enemy coming against us. It looks bleak for us as Christians sometimes, but, but when we know this and when we stick to God's word and the truth of the gospel, we will prevail. You know, following God's word and, and, and trusting in these things won't win us any popularity contests. It won't make us famous. The poor guy was, you know, forgotten instantly. But God doesn't forget. God is pleased with our obedience. He's pleased when we trust him and when we do what he wants us to do. It matters to God. So Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It's easy for us to convince ourselves that we don't matter and that, that what we do in the lives of others doesn't matter. But, but it does matter. I love when I see people doing the most simple and basic things in the church, things like praying for each other, encouraging each other, checking in on each other. Those are things that we can all do. It doesn't, you don't have to have be you know, a huge spiritually gifted person just to do those basic things that we can do for each other. And God is pleased with it when we do it. It matters to him. We may have the opportunity to be that poor, wise man in the lives of others within the church and maybe outside of the church because the people around us are just beset with massive problems and difficulties and, and things look completely hopeless to them. But during those times, they might turn to a Christian. Even though they, they think we're silly and they, they, they think we're, you know, all that, you know how that works. But when they get into crisis mode, who do they turn to? They look to a Christian and say, hey, what do I do? And so again, they might forget us the minute we, we walk away, but we might have that opportunity to be that for them. And the best thing is that we can tell them about the poor, wise man who saved us. Do you see the parallel in the story to Jesus? This is what that workshop's going to kind of be about. You have this parallel of Jesus who was poor. He made himself nothing. He had no place to lay his head. He was despised and rejected by man. And yet, through the wisdom of God at the cross, he defeated our greatest enemies, sin and death and Satan, and he saved us from certain destruction. And I just love that. So we have that opportunity to be that for people and also to introduce them to the one that can save them. So wisdom is better than strength, but you have to seek it out and submit to it when you find it. And you don't have to try very hard to see that wisdom is scarce in this world right now. Um, verse 17 says, The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. And wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So if you want to hear wisdom, you're going to have to kind of lean in to listen. You're going to have to want to hear it. You don't have to do that with fools. They, they're just loud and brash and they're everywhere right now. And, and you can't avoid hearing a loud mouth. They're, they're loud and they're persuasive and they kind of just bully their way through, through our lives. I love the old proverb of better to be silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> That's what I wish these guys would do. Just stop already with this. But, but the truth is that we, we want to hear it. We like what they have to say because it, it appeals to our flesh very often. And that's why we have, to, we have to tune out the foolish stuff and we have to, to tune into wisdom and try to hear it. And that's why coming to church and hearing God's word proclaimed is so important. Um, we need to saturate ourselves with the truth of God's word because there's just constantly noise all around us. We're hearing about you know, these experts and the pundits out there telling us how we should think, what we should be worried about, how we should act, what we should believe. It, it can be very convincing to us, but we need to find truth from God's word. That's what we need to listen to. That's true north for me. If I, if I get away from that, if I get away from church, I do start to spin out of control. When I get back around God's people and into his word, everything begins to make sense again. 
you know, this is why I think um, the, the fact that the bold foolishness can be so convincing and we have to be on guard against it. This is why we see so many Christians and, and so many churches compromising what God's word clearly teaches. It's happening everywhere, everywhere right now, even questioning whether or not God's word is God's word. And when we start to do that, all bets are off. And we need to hold fast. I love what 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So the wisdom of God's word is something we have to submit ourselves to and hold fast to. We need it to get through this life. And woe to us if we, if we reject it. Woe to us if we begin to, to ignore what it says. I love King David. King David was a flawed man. And I can relate to that. Uh, he was a man after God's own heart, but then some of the stuff he did made no sense. Right? You just think, what, what were you thinking, David? But that's, that's what I'm like very often. And what David clung to was God's word. He loved it. He just loved it. And I, I just, it, it convicts me to even read how much he loved God's word. But listen to how he describes it in Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. (laughs) That's just good. You know, the world right now, if you haven't noticed, it's full of chance opportunities and unseen calamities. Time and chance is out there. You know, if you didn't experience any this week, you know, hang tight. It'll, you'll, get, you'll probably, you know, it's coming. You're gonna, something's going to come. And the question is, when it happens, what will you do? Where will you turn? You can turn to your own strength, your own devices. You can look to the world for wisdom. Solomon says vanity. It's meaningless. It's empty. Or you can run to your strong tower. You can cling to Christ. You can cling to the only one that can save. And I would just encourage each one of you, don't underestimate the impact that you can have in the lives of of each other by just continually spending time um, speaking truth to each other, encouraging one another. We come on Sundays to be encouraged, and by, by about, what, Monday afternoon, Tuesday, we're already feeling like this again, you know, like, ah. So, you know, during the week, hey, take advantage of it. Come to the community groups. Make the calls that God encourages you to make. Find ways to encourage each other and speak truth to your brothers and sisters. That matters to God. If we do that alone, you know, that's what, that's what loving your neighbor, loving your brothers and sisters looks like. It's pretty simple. I think we overcomplicate so much of Christianity, but just love one another, right? All right. Father, we just thank you so much for, for your word. Thank you for Ecclesiastes and the, and the perspective that it gives us, and it shows us what we're, what we're not supposed to be uh, looking at at things like, and it shows us how we are to look at things. And so thank you so much for Christ. Thank you for giving us um, somebody who would save us from, from our greatest enemies. And, and we're so fortunate, Lord. I pray that if there's anybody here today that, that doesn't know Christ, that today would be the day that they, they bow their knee to him and that they confess that he is Lord and trust him for salvation. Thank you that you haven't left us. Um, you haven't left us, Lord. You've just Uh, you are our strong tower and we can look to you and I pray that this week we would and that we would love each other and and just do the things that please you and we ask that in Jesus' name, amen.